Um, are you ready for God's word? So turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and Genesis chapter 3. And if you remember, we've been in a series of the last few weeks called Fixated, Fixated, where we're talking about just Paul expresses a concern to the Corinthians. Um, and the Corinthians had kind of, they had some problems. In fact, they had a lot of problems. And Paul expresses some concerns. And one of the concerns is, is like, hey, I'm worried that the enemy is, is going to take you away from God, that the enemy is going to rob your devotion to God. And, and I just want to say the reason I'm doing this series <laughs> and the reason I'm doing it maybe right even before summer <laughs> is because um, I think that's the enemy. I don't know if you know this, that's still what he does. And it still works. And that is that if you are a follower of Jesus, if you believe in Jesus Christ and you have trusted on him for salvation, you're a follower of Jesus, I can tell you what the enemy is going to be doing to you the rest of your life. And that is he's going to try to steal your devotion. Another word for that would be commitment. He's going to be attacking your commitment to God. He's going to be trying to, to, to take your focus off of God. And, and he doesn't all the time use bad things. He can do, he can use good things like, right. Um, he, he can get you distracted even on things that, that aren't so bad, but he's going to constantly be warning like this summer, like it, summer is going to be busy. Like right now people are a little bit, I think winded. I know if you have kids in school and whatnot, how many of you know, May is always a hard month because everybody's kid is graduating. Your kids have all their end of spring concerts and sporting things and banquets and all that kind of stuff. And we're just running, 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 running. And we just get, get tired and we get worn out. And then we get into summer and we go into vacation mode. And sometimes vacation mode takes us away from God. Not that we're bad people. We just get distracted with all the activity and all the things. Come on, somebody don't act like I'm the only one that's ever dealt with the are like, no, never me. I just pray eight hours a day and just thank the Lord and but the truth of it is, like sometimes as a pastor, I want to remind people, hey, just, just, just remember God is still God all summer long, you know, and, and church is still church all summer long. And, and sometimes I really want to say, and the devil is still the devil. Like he's not going to take a summer vacation. So you should not take a summer vacation from your faith. Right? Like, like that's just like, that's a good word, somebody. And so, so we've been talking about how the enemy will, will just try to steal our our devotion to God, how he'll rob us of our commitment to God, how he'll constantly, listen, if you're a believer, this is what you need to understand. He does not want you praying. This is, listen, there are people that plan to be in this worship experience right now who are, who are probably listening to me online and they meant to be here, but then something blew up, yeah. right? They were going to get up early today and the alarm clock died. You know, I mean, the enemy is always working against our faith and against our, you, I, I wish there's part of me, and you, y'all have heard me say this, like, I, I don't think we could ever, we should ever grab people and shake them in the name of the Lord. But sometimes I want to grab people and say, don't you understand the enemy is not going to take a day off. Why do you think you can? Like he is not going to take a day off from warring against your faith. Why would you take a day off from feeding it? I feel like this is really good. I don't know if I'll ever get to the message, but I feel like I'm helping, right? Because so many times we, we don't even wake up with the mindset that there's a war going on. Like if you really want to follow God, if you want to see God work in your life, you really want to see God's plans and purposes. And we'll quote scriptures about God's good. If you want to see that, 
Listen, that comes by, by grace, but through faith, it's through, it's through you staying focused, it's through you staying committed, it's through you pursuing God. That's where that stuff comes from. And the enemy's doing everything in the world that he can. He's throwing everything at you to try to steal your devotion, to try to get your attention, to try to move your focus away from God. And we just need to acknowledge that. So listen, you can be intentional every day about seeking God, pursuing God, hearing God, following God. Like that is actually the norm. It is not the norm to wait for everything to blow up and then try to figure out where God is. Like I was thinking about this. Okay. I'm, I'm totally going off the script, but I'm going to help you with something. And, and so I was talking with the staff this week and I'll, I will get to the message. I promise. But I was talking to the staff and, and I just was talking with them and, and, um, I was talking with them about how, kind of like what I shared at the end of worship, sometimes we just keep expecting bad, and it's like a foreboding that we just keep expecting bad, keep expecting bad. And, and I was talking about with, with them like where my life is right now, because I can only use my life as an example, because I didn't live your life, I'm living mine. And, and, and I was thinking about, I, I was telling them, I said, I've been wrestling because my life is good. Now, I've been through a lot. And if you know anything about me or my story, I've been through a lot of stuff. We'll just call it stuff because that's a good word. There are other S words that would work, but stuff <laughs> is, a, is a good. Awesome. <laughs> Stinky stuff, whatever. You know what I'm saying? All right, so, so I've been through some stuff. And, and, and now God has done so many wonderful things. And I'm on this side. And I'm like, man, my life is, is good. And this is what I start asking. Is it okay for my life to be good? Like I'm so used to solving a problem, like I'm used to having problems at the church or problems here or problems there. I'm so used to being in a critical situation or solving. It's like the Lord was saying, can you, can you just live without a crisis? And I'm like, I don't know that I know how to live without a crisis. Like I think sometimes we get so trauma, we go through so much trauma and we get so much trauma brain that we get stuck where it's almost like we need a crisis to know how to pray. Like I don't know how to pray if there's not a crisis. I don't know how to follow God if there's not a crisis. I, I, don't, I don't even know how to live if, if there's not a crisis. Like can, and this is what I thought is like, can I, listen, I, can, can I steward good? Like, can I stay committed to God when it's good? Or do I need a crisis so I know how to pray? Like, can I use the time when I'm not having to spend all my energy navigating a crisis? Can I use that time to actually take ground and thrive and do what God's called me to do? Or am I just going to sit around and wait on the next crisis because I know how to relate to God during a crisis and I know how to manage a crisis and I know how to pray during a crisis and I know how to worship during a crisis. And I think so many times we've been through so much trauma and trauma shapes our brain and our life and not only that, but our spiritual life and our prayer life that we're not okay being okay. Like we'll say it's okay to not be okay, but is it okay to be okay? Or do I feel guilty because I'm okay? Or do I need to look for something to happen bad so I won't be okay? Because I'm so used to bad. It's like if I'm okay now, there has to be bad coming. And all of a sudden I felt like God was saying, can you just be Okay. Can you just be good? And can you be faithful in good? Because I know how to be faithful in a crisis because I've lived through a lot of them. I know, I know how to pray during a crisis, right? But, but now it's like, can I, can, I, 
Can I, in, in a good season, still pursue God? In a good season, still. And I realize sometimes, like, sometimes the enemy of our Christian walk is actually the blessing we prayed for. Because we pray and pray and pray and God moves in the moment. It's kind of like Abraham and Isaac. Send Isaac, send Isaac. God, you got to do the miracle. And if you'll read between Isaac's birth and when God speaks to Abraham to take Isaac up on a mountain, there is no conversation between God and Abraham for about 17 years. And my thought was, dear God, sometimes the enemy of great is good. Things get so good, we don't pursue great. Sometimes things get so good, we don't even know how to manage great. Sometimes we're not okay being okay because we get around people and they're like, well, this is this and this is this. And they're talking about all the bad. And we feel like in order to be okay, we got to tell them we have bad too. It's like there's something wrong with us. They say, no, actually, things are pretty good right now. Oh, what's your problem? That's the point. I don't have one right now right? I mean, if you need a problem, there's always one you can hear it by proxy. I mean, get on social media. You can just find somebody else's problem to be your problem if you want to. Somebody else's offense can be your offense. I mean, you can do this however you want to do it, or you could just be okay being okay. What if it's okay just being good? What if it's okay that things are okay? And what's our relationship to that? And can things being okay not actually take us from God? Because sometimes when things get good, we don't need prayer. When things get good, we don't, we don't need church. When things get good, we're, we're so good. And th- I think sometimes that's why we get out there and then the cycle of bad hits and we, come, and we can stop that cycle. And I was like, God, help me to steward the good in my life. Yes. Help me to steward, because we know how, like I said, we know how to steward a critical season. Maybe we need to learn how to steward a good season right? I don't know how I got off on that, but it was good, right? It'll help you. I'm going to tie it right back into the message because the point I was making is how the enemy will take our devotion and our attention away from God. And sometimes even good things can take our devotion and and our attention and our focus away from God. And so I want to jump into these two passages and we're going to have to work quick because I gave you all some bonus material. 2 Corinthians 11, this is the verse we've been using, but this is what Paul said. He said, I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds, look at that, your minds, your minds. That's been sticking out to me for weeks, and I finally figured it out. I'm going to share it today. Your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Otherwise, the war is always going to be against your mind. The war is going to be, and I'm going to show you today, one of the, the, the war, the war he waged against Eve and Adam's mind I'm going to show it to you today. Genesis 3 verse 1, it says, Now the serpent was more crafty. Now, so he references the, the cunningness of the serpent, and Eve was deceived. So we're going to go back and just read it so it's on our dashboard here. Um, Genesis 3 1, it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, You may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. Verse four, the serpent says you will not certainly die for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open. Now verse five, I'm about to show you something in verse five I have never seen. This is the, this is the verse where he waged a war on the mind of Eve who had a perfect mind, if you will. But I'm going to show you this in a way 
that I think is going to help you. At least the, I've never shared. Anyways, I think it's going to help you. This is all new material. I've never preached anything like this in my life. I just know from the nine o'clock it seemed to work because I had something else just in case that didn't work. I was going to give you something that did. But anyways, just kidding, just kidding. But he said, you will not diversify. For God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be open. You can underline that. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. I'm going to talk about those three phrases. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing the eye and desirable to gain wisdom, she took some of it and ate it. She also gave to her husband, and he ate it with her. Now, I'm going to give you my title, and then I'm going to work it out. My title's not going to make sense after just reading that verse, but we're going to work it out together. I call, in fact, I went through several titles. Uh, this is what I called it. I called it Running Scared. Running scared. The other ones were um, anxiously ambulating and uh, <laughs> walking worriedly. You know what I'm saying? And so, uh, but I think running scared just is better. All right. So, so we're gonna go with running scared. Um, let's pray. Holy Spirit, we need to hear you, and we don't want to miss you. So, just I just pray you to alleviate all distractions. And just help us to do what we're talking about. Just be focused on you for a few minutes. And I just pray that every person, God, would hear your voice and leave here with a word from you and a word that they're going to do something with. Not just hear a word, but take it and do something with it, God. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. Running, running scared. Um, so when I looked at this and I saw this, this war against the minds, right, um, the verse we read said, um, your minds may somehow be led astray. So I saw that, like minds and then the imagery, mind being led away from God. Like something happens in our mind and it moves us away from God. And that could be obviously a lot of things. And then I looked at, at, at Genesis and, and this text. I saw something that um, I'd never seen. And, and that was this, is what the enemy did Okay, follow this. Minds moving away from God. What Satan did, let me back up. What I've always preached, which is true. The moment Adam and Eve fell, it said there was shame and fear, right? They, they felt they were afraid and they were naked and they went and hid, right? So they covered themselves because they were ashamed and they hid because they were afraid. And I've always said, man, after the fall, this is the first thing that comes in, shame and fear. But I'm going to tell you today how the enemy got them to fall was actually fear. Actually, I would call it anxiety. Now, I did a message on anxiety last fall. You can go back. It was in the Mind Control series. You can go back and listen to that. I'm not going to do a message just on anxiety, but we're going to break this down just a little bit. But I've never seen this this way before in that, that you think about it, and, and, and I'll come back to this, but I'm going to show you. What the enemy did was created anxiety within Eve about things they didn't have or they weren't yet or, or, or does this make sense? And I realized that, that fear, you know, fear, it's kind of like fight, flight, or freeze, or, you know, whatever. Like fear actually causes us to run. Anxiety causes us to run. When we're anxious, like the enemy's trying to lead us away from God. So how does he do that? Well, through fear or anxiety, because once we're afraid or we're anxious, we do one of two things. We run from what we're afraid of. We run from what we think is making us anxious, or we run to what we hope will give us peace. So we're talking about running scared. Like if you're, if you're anxious, you know what it is to try to run from what you think is making you anxious. And if you know what it's like to be anxious, you know what it is to run to whatever you think it will help. 
And it could be a relationship or Oreos. It doesn't matter. You're going to run to something. The problem is that we're supposed to run to God. But anxiety, a lot of times, will make us run from him or make us run to something else. Like this was to David's credit. He said, I I went to the stronghold of the Lord. In other words, I ran to God. That was where my safety and my help was. Like if you want to know what you really trust in, just look at what you really run to. When there's anxiety or fear or stress, what do you run to? Because if you're running to, you know, to, to Neiman Marcus or Macy's or Dillard's or wherever people run to nowadays or thrifting, I don't know, wherever you run to, right? It just shows what you trust in. And, and what I saw was the enemy uses fear and anxiety to move us away from God. This is what Paul said, because anxiety is based on proximity, Anxiety is based on proximity. That's what I mean. What I mean by that is the closer I am to God, usually the less anxious I will be. I'm, let me just back up and say, if you struggle with anxiety or you take anti-anxiety medication, whatever, I don't want you to feel any condemnation. I'm not trying to minimize anxiety or oversimplify it. I'm just trying to get you to see something else. Okay. Does that make sense? Because I have compassion. I know exactly what it's like. I shared my story. I've dealt with anxiety. I know what it is. So I just want to put that in there so no one feels like I'm oversimplifying or minimizing their pain. Does that make sense? Are, you, are we all tracking? Now, having said that, let me, let me go back. Now that we have that, just so you know my heart, right? But here's what I know about my own life is that I'm the most anxious when I'm the most away from the Lord. The closer I get to the Lord, the more peace that I have. Paul says it this way, be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplication let your requ- and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God will guard your hearts and mind. How do I get the peace of God to guard my hearts and mind? I have to be close to him. Pray. I have to take everything to him. If you want to be anxious for nothing, take everything to him. Because the thing you don't take from him is usually the thing that causes you the most anxiety. Are you with me? But the idea is there's there's a connection between anxiety and proximity. And so here's what the enemy does. He uses anxiety to try to move us away from God. And the more we go away from God, the more fear and anxiety we end up with. And he literally gets us on the run. And we're either running from or we're running to, but we're on the run. Here's why this is important. And you're going to want to write this statement down because we're going to use it for for all three points when we get there. Here's why it's important. Whatever you fear the most, you will be devoted to the most. Whatever you fear the most, you will be devoted to the most. Like whatever you fear the most, is that's where you're going to be fixated. That's where you're going to get focused. And I can prove this from Scripture because we are designed to fear the Lord. See, there's a righteous fear. Not all fear is unrighteous. There's a righteous fear. I mean, there are healthy fears like move away from snakes. You know, that's a healthy fear, (laughs) right? But there's a righteous fear, and the righteous fear is the fear of the Lord. And the fear of the Lord is just that. It's just to say God is so awesome and so big and so good and so powerful and so loving and so amazing 
that because I revere him so much, I don't want to make a decision without him. I don't want to step outside of his plan. I don't want to step outside of his will. I want to serve him. I want to follow him because who else is there? Like I fear the Lord and I fear falling out of his plan or stepping out of his will or doing things my way or living. Like I fear that because there's consequences, but there's a greater consequence just not by staying in the plan and purpose and, and, and not by staying focused on him. Like it's the fear of the Lord. The Bible talks about, I'll give you, I mean, look at this. Like even Jesus said, don't fear those who can hurt the body, but fear those who have power over the body and the soul. In other words, that's God. He's saying you, you should fear God. It's a holy thing. It's a righteous fear. In fact, this is just a few things about the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord, those who fear the Lord, number one, are wise, Proverbs 1. Those who fear the Lord lack nothing, Psalm 34. Those who fear the Lord are blessed, Psalm 112. Those who fear the Lord find life, Proverbs 19. Those who fear the Lord avoid evil, Proverbs 19. Those who fear the Lord have wealth and honor, Proverbs 22. And there's a lot of verses, but I'm just saying. So there's a holy, righteous fear, and we were created to fear the Lord. Why? Because whatever we fear the most, we will be devoted to the most. So we were created to fear the Lord. Amen. The problem is there, there's, an, there's an unrighteous fear. There's a lot of unrighteous fears. A few years ago, and this is where I want to get into the points, but a few years ago, there was a term, it was an acronym that came out. Uh, it was FOMO. Most of you know what that is, FOMO, fear of missing out, right? This F-O-M-O, FOMO, it's an acronym, fear of missing out, right? And I'm not going to preach on that exactly um, because, you know, I don't know. It's, I'm going to talk. I'm actually what I'm going to talk about is talk about the fears FOMO is comprised of. So I'm going to go one level deeper. But with the with the the progression of social media and and everything that comes to our hands now, um, this became even a psychological problem uh, for our society several years ago. In that everyone was struggling with this fear of missing out, and it was really interesting because you could be making some really good choices for you. Like for instance, it might be eight o'clock on a Saturday and you've had a long week and you've been working and doing things or whatever. And you finally get to kind of sit down. You haven't been able to sit down. You've been doing laundry and cleaning house and running kids and doing all this, whatever you're doing. And, and then you finally get to sit down and maybe watch a basketball game or something like that. You know, praise God, go Mavs. But, um, uh, and they need, they need help y'all. They're in the hole and we got to pray them out. Lord, um, go, Lord, set their feet on a rock, Jesus. Get them out of the miry pit, Lord. And so, um, and so, and so, but maybe, it's, and, and you find, you're sitting down and you got to take a shower, you're all clean, you got your jam jams on, right? And, and you're in your favorite chair on your couch and you got your apple and you got your peanut butter and you got your Coke Zero. Not that I would know any of these things, but um, not that this is any familiar. And you're like so content because you're like, this is what I needed, just a night at home, just take a few minutes, watch something, you know, brainless activity here. And I'm so happy and so thrilled. This is amazing. And then you open up Instagram and all your friends are at a nice restaurant having dinner. And all of a sudden you're like, my life sucks. Isn't that amazing? Like a few minutes before, you had the greatest life in the world. This is amazing. I love my chair. I love peanut butter. I love apples. This is wonderful. And then it's all of a sudden, am I not good enough to get in, be invited to this? What's the deal? They don't like me anymore? What am I missing out? Right? And it's this, this phenomenon that we deal with that creates a constant um, comparison 
and a constant state of discontentment. And when I looked at that, that fear, and I started looking like if I was going to preach a message on FOMO, I would use Genesis 3. Because this is where the enemy came in with anxiety. In verse 5, he starts explaining to Eve about the one thing you don't have and starts getting her into this, this death cycle of comparison and creates this anxiety that you're missing out on something. And it's really, if you break it apart, I mean, these are the three things. There are three fears, I think, that build into this fear of missing out on something, this anxiety that comes. And I think they're actually more unique and probably even more powerful than just the, the fear of missing out. And so let me show you these really quick. Number one, number one, it's the fear of lack. Look at Genesis 3, 5. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open. In other words, here, here's, here's where it starts. You're missing something. You're missing something. You know what it is to like, maybe you're going on a trip and you pack and you get to the airport, you're about to check your suitcase, or maybe you're just driving out of town and you cross the state line and all of a sudden it's that thing of like, I know I forgot something, but I don't know what it is, yes. right? I'm missing something. I'm missing something. Look, this is the first thing that he gets Eve to, to contemplate is there's something you don't have. There is something to have that you don't have. In other words, you're lacking something. Now, think about this. Think about this. Because whatever you fear the most, you are devoted to the most. What happens when you fear not having? Then you are devoted to getting. Some of you have experienced this because you're still making payments on it. Was that, was that too personal? Some of you know other people. That, that are still making payments on what they thought they were, were missing. The, the problem is, it, it, when, when we, listen, this is what the enemy does. This is what the enemy did with Eve. She didn't know she was missing anything till he got her to compare what she had with what she couldn't have. And this is what the enemy does. He constantly is getting us to compare what we have with what we don't. And for whatever reason, what we don't always looks better. And you can be perfectly content with what you have until you compare it to what you don't. Isn't that true? Like, that's how infomercials work, y'all. You, you, you never knew that you needed a blender that also was a back scratcher and a vacuum all in one for eight payments of $19.95 till it came on. You're like, whoa, I'm missing out. There's a celebrity that has one of these. And this is what the enemy does. This is what Paul talks about comparison. He says, we, this is 2 Corinthians 10, 12. We do not dare classify or compare ourselves. Think about this. What if you live without classifying yourself or comparing yourself to other people? We don't classify or compare ourselves to some who commend themselves when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves. In other words, they're measuring themselves against, he's talking about a group, but they're measuring themselves against each other and comparing themselves to one another. This is what he said. They're not wise. Because the best way to devalue what you have is to compare it to what you don't. 
The best way to value what you have is compare it to what you don't have. And, and comparison is what kills contentment. And this is what I'm saying. Adam and Eve, they're happy. They're running around the garden naked, eating fruit salad, petting wild cheetahs. Life is good. If that's your dream of good. Everybody's like, no, it's not my dream of good. It's not mine either. I'm not some weird cheetah fantasy. Okay, all right, just... That was weird. Never mind. We're definitely editing this. Anyways, <laughs> but the point is this. Things were good until they started comparing what they had to what they didn't have. And they came to this anxiety. What if I'm missing something? I need, I need to tell you something because here's what I want to do. I want to try to present it and then try to help with each one of these. So let me try to help. Do you remember the parable of the talents? Because there's a truth you need and it's in the parable of the talents. Matthew 25 14 says, and again, it would be like the kingdom of God is like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them his wealth. To one, he gave five bags or five talents. To another, two bags or two talents. To another, one bag or one talent, each according to his ability. And then he went on his journey. Um, a talent, by the way, is, is that's why they use the word bag in the NIV, because a talent is a unit of measure. It's, not, it's the highest denomination technically, but it's actually a, a, a weight. And so we don't know if it was five talents of silver or five talents of gold. If it would have been five talents of gold, that would be several million dollars. So this wasn't like a small thing. Even the person who got one talent, if that's a talent of gold, it's, it's um, you know, over half a million dollars. So it's not, not a small thing. But, but it says he divides to one five, to one two, and to one one. Here, here's what I need you to, to understand is that God gives to everyone the same but he does not give the same to everyone. God gives to everyone the same, but he doesn't give the same to everyone. Let me break that down. God gives to everyone the same. Did the one who received five talents, did he earn it? No, because it said he gave them. So that's grace, right? It didn't say he earned it, so he was paid. It wasn't a pay payment. It wasn't a wage. It was grace. So here's the other question. Did the one who received the one talent did they earn it? No, it was just as much grace for them to have one talent as for the other to have two or the other to have five. God gives to us all the same. It's based on his goodness, not ours. And everything we have comes from the Lord. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, meaning everything you have is actually God's. He has placed it in your hands by his grace. I was laughing because I went, I went to the gym and I was walking up and I noticed license plates and there was a really nice car and it had this license plate on it. Called, and it was, I hope this guy's not in a church because I'm going to make fun of your license plate for just a minute. Um, but I love you and you're amazing. Um, but the license plate, a nervous laughter, but the license plate um, said self-made. And I laughed because I'm like, there's no self-made man. Who do you think gave you breath? Who gave you life? Who gave you brains? Who gave you abilities and skills? I'm not saying that you maybe weren't a good steward and went to college and learned some things and made some wise investment. I'm just saying where everything we have came from God. The, the contentment that we're looking for is to understand God has given to me just like he has given to everyone else. And he has given to me based on his goodness and grace. God supplies my need the same way he supplies your need, the same way he supplies everybody else's need. God supplies. That is the goodness of God. 
So he gives everyone the same, but he doesn't give the same to everyone. To one he gave five, to one he gave two, to one he gave one. Why? Because it said according to their ability. In other words, God has given me everything I need, but he hasn't given me everything someone else needs. And he hasn't given me everything maybe that I want or somebody else wants. So I understand then that God has given to me based on my ability, based on where I'm at in life, based on the calling that I have, based on what I'm, what I'm called to do and what I am doing, my purpose, like God has given to me. And so we could look at it and say, yes, he drives a Mercedes. Praise God, God gave him to that. I drive a, a, a Toyota. Praise God, God gave me a Toyota. This is what I need. I don't need a Mercedes. I would tear it up. You can't take a Mercedes hunting. Are you with me? But, but this is what we have to understand is that God, everything we have comes from God. And here's the real thing. If you want to live in contentment, stay focused on what God has given you. Can I just, I'm going to ask you a hard question and I don't want you to answer, but here's a question I've been working with lately. Has my prayer time, my devotional time, have I spent more time thanking God for what I have or asking God for what I don't have? Because it's bad. Sometimes Satan will walk into your devotional time and get you fixated on what you don't have. Yeah. 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 Oh, this is so good. <laughs> is that not true? Because we spend all of our prayer time explaining to God what we need and what we want and what we've got to have. And the other day I just sat down and said, I'm going to spend this whole time just thanking God for everything that I have, everything that he has given me, everything he has put in my hands. I'm going to be grateful for that. I'm going to be focused on the goodness of God I have seen and held and have and not get fixated on what I don't. I'm not going to compare what I don't have with what I do have. I'm going to find joy in what I have and understand it's the grace of God and it's his provision for me. Are you with me? And that I'm not missing anything. If I were missing it, it would be a need and he would supply it. Here's the... Here's the second thing, the fear of rejection. So there's the fear of lack or fear of missing or not having. Then there's the fear of rejection. Look at this. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. Here's what he's saying. God's on the inside. You're on the outside. You're not like him. In other words, something wrong. You're set up for rejection. You're not like him. You're, you don't live in that neighborhood. You don't have that pair of shoes. You don't drive one of those cars, right? There's God, and then there's you, and you're not like God. You're less than, you're rejected. Listen, it's what we all deal with. Um, Rejection is one of the greatest needs. It's one of the greatest fears. Fear of rejection is one of the greatest fears, um, of our really, of our society. And what happens, think about this, because whatever you fear the most, you'll be devoted to. Here's another thing. Whatever you fear the most, you'll serve the most. What happens when you start serving acceptance because you fear rejection? Because we've all got a story to tell about that, don't we? Because we've got a regret. For us, serving acceptance was a name tag. For some people, it became a reputation. For some people, it became a label. For some people, it's a loan you're still trying to pay off. 
What happens when we start serving for acceptance? Because we fear rejection. What does that look like? Bad relationships, more hurt and pain, bad financial decisions, regrets. I mean, let's just be honest, because if you lived through high school, I'm going to say at some point, you made a really dumb decision because you just didn't want to be rejected. I mean, it is, it is culture. It is, the way, it is the way we live. It's something we deal with every day. And the truth of it is, here's the reality. We were created for love by love to be loved and to love. And because, because the greatest motive of how we were made was love, the greatest fear we now have is rejection. Think about this. We were made for love to be loved by love and to love. But so we were made by love. So, so since love, God loved us and God made us from love to have love and to be loved. So our greatest fear, because that's our greatest need then is love. Our greatest fear then is rejection. And it's something that, that we all, all deal with. And here's, here's where rejection really comes from. Rejection comes from flaws. Like we're scared we're going to be rejected because of our flaws. We reject other people because of their flaws. People reject us either because of our flaws or because they're flawed. But all rejection is based on flaws. Here's the problem. We were all born flawed. Right? We were all born in sin. Sin entered the world and death through sin and sin spread to everyone. So we all were born flawed. And we all want to be accepted. And here's the great truth, though. Here's the great truth. That's why we had to be born again. Because we were born flawed. We were born rejected. Because God has to reject us when we're flawed. God has to reject us while we're in sin. Right? So we had to be born again, perfected, so we could be accepted. Hebrews 10, 14 says, He has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. He has perfected. Look at that word. Perfected, past tense. Perfected for all time. Why did God have to, by His grace, perfect us? Because He wants to accept us. And God, being preeminent, can accept anything less than perfect. If you'll follow this, this will help you. God can't accept anything. Why, why in the Old Testament, he said, if you want to bring a sacrifice, it had to be a perfect animal, without spot, without blemish. You had to bring the first, had to be the best. You guys remember this? Why was it? Because God can't accept anything that's not perfect. So in his grace, he sent his son to pay for our flaws and all of our flaws were put on him. Oh, I hope you get this. He who knew no sin became sin. All of your flaws were put on him. That you would become the righteousness of God. So here's what God did. God put all of your flaws on him. So by grace, he could make you perfect. 
so he could accept you. Ephesians 1.6 says, To the praise and glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted. Past tense. Accepted in the beloved. So here's what happened. You were born flawed. God sent his son. He took your flaws. Now in grace, you are made perfect and God can accept what is perfect. To God, you are perfect. And now he has accepted you. And where you were flawed and you were rejected, now you're forever accepted. And he did that. Listen, this is what you need to understand. Rejection is settled in Jesus because Jesus took our place. I don't know if you know this. He took your rejection. Matthew 21 says, the stone the builders rejected has become the chief. In other words, he was rejected right, by religious leaders. Then he was rejected by his generation. Luke 17 said he must be rejected by his generation. So Jesus was rejected, but here's the one that's going to blow you away. Jesus was rejected by God. On the cross, Jesus makes this statement, and he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? is the only time Jesus ever called God, God. Every other time it was Father. What's the difference? Because remember, think about this. Think about this. Oh, it's so good. The disciples, Jews, they called him God, not Father. Jesus called him Father, not God. Okay? Why? They were separated through an old covenant. And when you're separated from God and you feel rejected and it's about your performance, he's God. Jesus was completely, ex- so good. He was, com- this was not in the 9 a.m. <laughs> I feel so bad for them right now. Anyways, <laughs> but Jesus, Jesus was accepted by the Father and he was close. And he said, he, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, we are one. What was he saying? There's this acceptance and there's this closeness and they're over here calling him God because there's this chasm and distance and rejected. And then on the cross is the great exchange because Jesus says, my God, what happened? All the sin, all of our flaws were placed on him. And all of a sudden he knew what it was like to be rejected because God has to reject sin. And he was rejected and he felt the distance and said, my God. But then, then he tells the disciples, I am going to my father and your father, meaning on this side of the cross, he's like, I took the flaws and the rejection so you can be eternally accepted by God. Like you have to understand rejection is healed in you. It is settled in Christ. Here's the last thing, the fear of insignificance. That's one we all deal with, fear of insignificance. Look at this. It says, for God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be open. You're missing something. You'll be like God. You're rejected, knowing good and evil. In other words, there's, there's an ability, there's a thing that other people can do that you can't do. There's other people can know good and evil, but you can't know good and evil. You're not, you're not as significant as, as, as they are. And I think this hits the heart of our insecurity. I think a lot of people deal with insignificance because it's the question really of worth and it's the question of impact. 
right? And, and when it's the question of worth, I was thinking about this when we're dealing with insignificance, and it's like, what am I worth? I was thinking about coveting. You know, coveting is when I want something someone else has. Envy, so coveting is when I'm focused on the thing. Envy is when I'm focused on the person because the question is, why do they have that and I don't? Are they more valuable than me? Are they more worthy? Or, or better yet, I think I'm more worthy than them, but yet they have that and I don't have that. And so all of a sudden, this, this envy, it's all this insecurity, and it's all based around who's the, like it's the disciples, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? And that's what the enemy does, is he convinces Eve there's something out there you can't do, which makes you less significant than whoever can do that. They know good and evil, and, and, and you don't. And what happens, listen, whatever you fear the most, you serve the most. What happens when you start trying to serve significance? If you want to know, I don't know, take a step back and watch our culture. Because most of our culture is trying to serve significance. Because our world and our culture doesn't know how to define significance, so we give a criteria for significance that's really not even significant. Because we say significance is followers, significance is likes, significance is, is status, significance is possessions, significance is education. We, we put all these, in fact, we even have this word, significant other. In other words, you're not significant without an other. So glad Jesus didn't believe that. Amen. Right? And, and so in our culture, it has all these criteria that are completely wrong. And what we miss in the Bible, most of the significant things were done by people who the culture would have said was insignificant. In fact, most of the places that things happen, like Bethlehem where Jesus was born, would have been known as an insignificant town. Except that's where the savior of the world first stepped into the world. And so you, you got to understand that, that, that the problem with our culture and what the enemy does so well is he causes us to try to find significance outside of God. Adam and Eve, content, relationship with God, the most significant people on the planet, and yet he convinces them to be significant. You've got to chase this. You've got to step away from that. You've got to go after this. There's something out there you can't do, something out there you don't have, whatever, and you've got to chase it. And this is, this is exactly what he's doing in our culture today. And there are people running scared all over the place, so scared they're not worth anything, so scared they're not going to have an impact in this life. And they're chasing this and that, and they're producing videos and TikToks and all this stuff to try to get discovered or noticed or be significant. And in the end, they're going to be significant as the guy that put the Mentos in the Coke and threw it and the Coke came back and hit him. Wow, you got 8 million views. You're so significant because you're a moron. And this is what the enemy does time and time again. 
is he convinces us to find significance. We got to run after something or step away from who God. And, and this is why I need you to understand that, that when it comes to significance, you can't find your significance outside of God. Listen to me very carefully. If you're a young person or an old person, it doesn't even matter. If you're in this room or online, I'm looking right at you. You cannot find significance apart from God. And here's why. Because he made you and he knows who you are and he knows what you're supposed to be and he knows what you're supposed to do. He knows your worth because he paid his son for you. And he knows what you're supposed to do because Ephesians 2 says he created good works in advance that you should walk in them. He's the one that says, I know the plans that I have for you, plans of welfare and not for calamity to bring you a future and a hope. That's why your significance has to be in him because he has a plan. He knows the plan. It's a good plan for your future, your significance. And the enemy will convince you that somehow if you'll take your life in your own hands, you can find significance. But significance cannot be found by taking your life in your own hands. Significance is found by putting your life in his hands. Whatever you put in hit, whatever you take into your hands will be lost. Whatever you put in his hands can never be lost. Jesus said it this way, try to save your own life and you'll lose it. But lose your life in me and you'll find, here's what he's saying, your life in your hands will be lost. Your life in God's hands cannot be lost. Your life in your hands, you'll live a constant state of running towards significance. Your life in God's hands, you will be settled and understand my significance comes from my creator, from my father, from my God who made me in his image, who designed me on purpose, who gave me a destiny, who has a plan, who has hope for me and a future for me. That's where my significance is. But here's, here's to me what is so amazing because that he was so cunning is what Paul said. His cunning, his cunningness, like he's so sophisticated in his trickery. Do you understand? He got Eve to run away from God and to run towards what she was missing and to run towards trying to be accepted and to run towards trying to be significant when she was actually missing nothing, completely accepted and the most significant being on the planet. And I'm going to tell you, that's what he does to us. Because if you were listening, I just explained to you, you're not missing anything. He has supplied everything you need and will supply everything you need. You're not missing anything. And I just explained to you, you're eternally accepted because Jesus was rejected in your place. And I just explained to you that you are significant because he has a good plan for you, not a bad plan. And he has things that he prepared for you to walk. He has a purpose. You were designed on purpose for a purpose. And so you are significant. And my concern even is if you don't understand, you're not missing anything. And if you don't understand, you're accepted by Christ, by God. And if you don't understand that he created you to be significant and you are significant, the enemy could do what he did to Eve and he could convince you through anxiety to run after things you already have. And I wonder today how many people are chasing one of these three things not even realizing you already have it. Chasing acceptance because you already have it. 
chasing something because you think you're missing something. When you're, when you're complete, that's what Colossians says, we are complete in him. Like I know it's a great line in Jerry Maguire, you complete me. You don't need anyone to complete you. You are complete. When, when, when two people are trying to find somebody that completes them, that's where you get a mess. You need two complete people to have a relationship. And he's saying, you're complete in me. You're missing nothing. You're accepted and you're significant. And what I'm saying is don't go chasing things you already have. Amen. Can you stand with me? I just want us to pray today because I'm hoping that as we're talking, that if the enemy is working in your life in this way, that God's showing it to you. And I want, I want God to speak to it because I want God to heal hearts and I want God to make us whole and I want God just to show us truth. And so will you bow your heads just for a moment and and right now, if you're in that place of like, man, this one really hit home with me. This one really resonated with me. Will you take a moment and really just take in the truth, like the truth that I'm not missing anything. I'm completing him. The, the truth that, that, um, that I'm accepted perfectly. The truth that I'm significant. I was designed fearfully and wonderfully made. I was made in significance for significance like and I just want you to take a moment and let that truth set in Holy Spirit I just pray right now God wherever people may be struggling that God they would hear the truth of your word you would speak so clearly to them and Lord help us to settle our souls and not run in anxiety and not run to run from run after run away but God, just to rest in who you made us and what you provided to us and for us and the purpose you have for us. So God, I just pray right now you would heal hearts, Lord. Maybe where people have just felt rejected, I just pray you would heal rejection. God, where people have doubted their, their calling or their purpose, God, I just pray you remind them they're significant. They matter. God, help us all to, to just rest in what you've provided and what you've done and who you've made us. And show us where the enemy is trying to get us to chase things we already have. I'm going to ask our prayer team to come and and uh, we end all of our prayer time with just a time of prayer. If you need prayer, we'd love to pray for you. But also, if you need a relationship with God, meaning if you were going to stand before God today, like, do you know that you have a relationship with Him? Not have you been to church, but do you genuinely have a relationship with God? And so if you need prayer, if you need a relationship with God, we want to pray with you. Um, I thank you for being here today. I just pray God continues to work this week. Listen, leave here not just with a word from God for you, but leave here with something to do with that word. So God, I just pray as we go from this place, Lord, we may go from this place, but we're not going from your presence. 
And we may leave this time of hearing this word, but this word, God, endures forever because it's your word. So God, I just pray for all of us that we would keep working the word in our hearts that you've given us today. So Lord, that it would, it would heal and change and transform. God, again, I just thank you for your goodness, for your faithfulness. God, you've provided everything to us. We're significant. We're accepted. God, those are amazing things. Lord, we just thank you for it. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. God bless you. Yeah, you can praise God a little bit. God bless you. We love you. If you need prayer, we want to pray. Everybody else, say, God bless you. We love you. We'll see you next weekend.